been and will be in a series on the miracles of Christ. They're about 35 to 37, depending on how you look at it, um, what you classify as a miracle and, and what you don't. Uh, we've looked at a couple so far. We've looked at the water and the wine, and we talked about the idea that Jesus has the ability to transform um, lives. Uh, we talked about the healing of the nobleman's son, and we talked about the idea that Jesus is not limited by distance. So the fact that he went ahead and has gone on into heaven doesn't mean that he can't work today. Um, and then uh, last, let's see, last week we talked about, uh, which one did we get last week? Um, oh, the lame man at, at Beth, Bethsaida, uh, the guy who had been there for 38 years. And, and we talked about the idea that um, God, God gives hope in hopeless situations. That, uh, you know, it's one of the lessons we learned there at, at Bethsaida. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at a little bit different miracle. It's, gonna, it's another Sabbath miracle, and we talked about the significance of that last week. But um, this miracle is different in that it deals with the spirit world. It deals with the demonic. It deals with, with Satan's realm. And you're going to see that, that a number of the miracles at some point Jesus confronts um, demons or, or a demon um, and how he handles that. And we're going to learn some things, and, and there's some things that, that I think will be helpful to us. Uh, the story that we're going to look at this morning is found in two places. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, and it's found in the Gospel of Mark. Um, the Gospel of Luke is a little more detailed in the story beforehand, and we're going to be looking this morning at the Gospel of Mark, but in the passage in Luke, the introduction to the story goes somewhat like this. Jesus is in the Capernaum area, and we'll talk about that in a second, uh, and he goes into the synagogue, and on the Sabbath, he reads a passage from Isaiah, which talks about the Messiah coming. And Jesus, at the end of it, when he goes to um, explain it, says, it's fulfilled this day in your ears. So what Jesus basically is equating to is the idea of, I I'm the guy. I I'm the Messiah. Well, that was not a popular message. So they actually, at that point, and this is early in the ministry of Christ, tried to kill him. And they were going to throw him off a cliff is what they're going to do. And Luke talks about it in Luke 4, that Jesus escapes out of their midst. And then either the following Sabbath or a couple of Sabbaths after, we come to the story we're going to read this morning. So I, I think it's interesting because it does impact a little bit this story this morning in Mark chapter 1. So Mark chapter 1, let's uh, read it and... Uh, We'll kind of comment as we go, and then, and, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, i tell you what, take it down, because I don't want them to read it until I'm ready to read it. I changed my mind. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background. Capernaum. Let's talk about Capernaum first. Capernaum um, is an area that is um, in Galilee. It, there's a Roman garrison there. It was a place where they paid customs. And it is an area from which four of the disciples are from. Peter, James, Andrew, and John are from that area. So it's kind of like their home turf. And you're going to see a lot of miracles take place. The one that we're talking about this morning takes place up there. Um, another thing we're going to be introduced to is the idea of the Sabbath. Uh, these, miracles, these miracles and others occur on the Sabbath. And, and, and they occur in the synagogue in particular. Uh, let me help you understand a little bit the way synagogue or church was done. Um, the law, depending on who you read, said one of two things. Either, either um, 
You had to have 10 men over the age of 13 to start a synagogue, or you had to have 10 married men to start a synagogue. Depends on which rabbi you read. But the idea was when they had 10 guys, who Jewish guys, they could get together and they could have a synagogue. And that was what you and I would think of as church. So it was like, okay, 10 people would get together and they'd start a church, so they'd have a little group of people. And they were responsible for everything. That group was responsible for the whole service and everything else. There'd usually be some singing. There would usually be some um, uh, reading of the scriptures. Then there would usually be some explaining of the scriptures. So think about it for a minute. If you've got a small group of people that are kind of gathered, so there might be 20, 30, 40, 50, might be a big synagogue with maybe like 100. Um, wherever they could gather, they would gather together. They would have this little service thing. When visiting rabbis or when people would come who had knowledge of the scriptures, they would invite them that morning to say, hey, how about you leading us today? How about you reading the scriptures and then explaining them? How about you tell us what God's been doing in your work, in your, in your journeys? That's how Paul went around and shared the gospel because Paul had this great reputation as a, as, as a Jewish leader, but they didn't realize a lot of them that he had become a Christian. So they'd say, oh, Paul's here today. Well, let's have Paul speak. And then Paul would speak, and he would tell them about Christianity, and then they would get really upset. And, and that's what would happen. So Jesus is doing somewhat the same thing. He would come in, and they would hear about Jesus, the rabbi Jesus. And again, think about it for a minute. Jesus walks in, and what's he got? Got guys following him. So, you know, you don't have to figure out, you don't even have to know who he is. You just see a guy walk in, and there's like eight students with him, or 10 students, or 12 students, or four students with him. And you're going, who is this guy? Why is he walking in with, a, with bodyguards and an entourage and all of this, you know? Maybe we better ask him to say something. And that's kind of the way it would happen. And so that's what happens in this story, is Jesus comes in, and they, they ask him to speak. And they ask him to say something, and so he does, all right? So that's kind of the, the background to how all of this plays out. So now let's look at Mark chapter 1. Here we go. Here's what it says. They, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. This is really important. When Jesus speaks, it's different from all the other speakers. See, the other guys would come in, and they would read a passage, and they would say, now, so-and-so, Rabbi so-and-so taught this, and then Rabbi so-and-so taught this, and Rabbi so-and-so taught this about this passage, and, and Gamaliel said this. And, and, and so when you walked away, you were kind of like, wow, that guy, like, he knows a lot of rabbis. Or that guy really knows his stuff. And so the attention was often on the teachers of the law and on what they knew. Um, in fact, 21 times Mark uses this phrase, teachers of the law, because the focus kind of became them. But when Jesus spoke, it was different. It was really different. It was noticeably different. Jesus didn't stand up and say, Rabbi so-and-so said this. Rabbi so-and-so said that. Jesus would explain it. And when Jesus explains stuff, when you read the Bible, one of the things that you'll see is Jesus was, was incredibly concise and simplistic and what he taught. I mean, think about it for a minute. The Beatitudes. Blessed are they that mourn. They shall inherit the kingdom. 
That, boom. That's it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second commandment is like unto it. Love your neighbors yourself. Whoa. Well, what about, what do all the rabbis say about that? It doesn't matter what the rabbis say. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. One of the things that you see about Jesus is that it is, it is very simplistic in, in, in the way that he approaches it. Um, you're going to see that in, even in this story. You're going to see that it is also very applicable. It, I mean, it is to the point. There is no question what to do when he's done talking. Because he is, he is concise. He is original. He is simple. He just drives it right home to everybody. And so they hadn't heard that. That was not, that was not typical church. Church was about all of the stuff. It wasn't about being practical and, and, and simple and right down to it. It's one of the reasons that, you know, one of the things that I work hard at doing is trying to make whatever we're talking about as simple as I can make it. Okay? And it's not because I think you're simple people. It's because we have, and this, and this is one of the reasons I like children in it. We have children in the service who I want children to understand it. I want a fourth grader to be able to walk out of here and go, I learned something in church today. Um, why? Because when I look at the teaching of Jesus, it was simple. It was clear. It was something they could apply immediately. It w- that's the way he taught. That doesn't mean you don't study and you don't, you know, you don't, but... You, you work at, and, and you know as well as I do, any of you who have been around good teachers, the best teachers in the world could bring it down to a level that you could grab onto and understand it. Uh, you know, my favorite teachers in college um, were not the guys who quoted all of the, 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 the people. They were the people who got right down to the nitty-gritty stuff of it and said, this is what it means. These are your options. This is, what, this is the implications of it. This is what it means to your life. That was the real teaching stuff. And when Jesus spoke, that's what he did. Now, here's what's interesting. Notice what it says in the passage. It goes on. <clears throat> it said, just then. So Jesus reads a passage, talks about a passage. He's teaching. He's preaching. And just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cries out. This is a guy who's demon-possessed. So he all of a sudden cries out, what do you want with us? Now, that's interesting. It's in the plural, so we're getting the idea that there's more than one. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? This is a derogatory term. He's trying to discredit Jesus, so to speak. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth, which wasn't too far away, and the people in Capernaum are going, what, 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 Nazareth? No good thing comes out of Nazareth. Whoa, he's from Nazareth? We let a guy speak who's from Nazareth? You've got to be kidding me. What do, what, what do we just do? That's, that, that's, what that's what this spirit, demonic thing, object is trying to do. But notice what he says. What do you want, um, let me see, what, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The satanic, demonic world has an understanding of what Jesus is ultimately going to do. And their mindset is, why are you here? Have you come down from heaven 
to destroy us now. We know that you said you were going to do that. Is that why you're here right now? Because they're thinking it's all about them. And notice what happens, what they'd say next. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He steps back and he goes, you know what? These people, they may think that you're like this guy from Nazareth. I know who you really are. You're God. Now, okay, stop for a minute and think about this for a minute. Okay? Jesus is coming to your church. You don't know anything about this guy. He stands up. He preaches. You go, wow, this guy's, he's like a pretty good pre- preacher. I've never heard anybody talk like that. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to use him. Earl pops up, and a demon starts speaking through Earl because Earl's unsaved and lost. And a demon pops up and starts speaking to Earl and says, Who are you? Jim Thomas of Kentucky. I know who you are. You've come to undo us. And I know that you're not that guy from Kentucky. You're really God. And you're thinking what at that point? You're going, whoa, this is not what I signed up for. I'm coming to synagogue. This is like synagogue time. This is not like all of this stuff kind of time. And then notice what happens. Notice what happens. Be quiet, Jesus says sternly. Come out of him. So Jesus doesn't engage this guy much. He looks at him and says, shut up and get out. That's it. And what happens? It says, the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. So this unclean spirit or unclean spirits come out. Now notice what happens. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. All of a sudden they realize this is different. And notice what it says. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And that's the story. Okay. Um, and it, it, like I say, it's pretty straightforward, and, and there's not a lot of, uh, I guess, questions about, you know, what it, what it means and, and how straightforward it is. Um, but I think there's a lot of lessons for us. There's a lot of lessons for us here. Here's the first one. Satan's alive and well. You understand in this story, the demon went to church? The next time you're thinking about staying home from church, just realize demons go to church. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, they're sitting there going, honestly, I mean, think about it, the demon is in church. And the demon, here's the thing that's crazy about it. You know, again, you call it whatever you want, demon, spirit world. You need to understand there is a world of God. There is a world of Satan. They are very real, legitimate worlds. And in that world of Satan, there are demons, there are, there are angelic hosts of fallen, uh, fallen angels and all of that. All of that's real, okay? Don't minimize it. But in, in dealing with it, understand that he was okay in church. He didn't have a problem going to church. The problem came 
when he had to deal with Jesus. The problem is when Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up, a demon gets real uncomfortable. You see, that's what you and I need to understand, is that Satan is okay. And I, Okay, let me back it up, because I've I, I got people from all different backgrounds, so I've got to be careful here. I don't believe that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you can be demon-possessed, okay? I want to be clear about that. Because here's, let me make it really simple for you. You know why? God don't share his temple with nobody. Okay? Um, God don't, I'll never forget, we were in Israel, and, and they were talking about the idea that when Jesus comes back and builds his temple and, and all of that, and, and people were asking, yeah, but the mosque of Omar was there, and what's going to happen? And, and one, one guy was a Bible scholar in our group. He goes, well, he said, if you look at the dimensions and stuff like that, he said, technically, he said, where the mosque of Omar is, it may not be the actual spot where the original temple is, and you could actually put a temple next to it, which is closer to the original spot, and so actually, God, when he establishes his temple, could set it up right there and the mosque of Omar. And I'll never forget the Jewish guy who was there. He goes, God ain't sharing that space with the mosque of Omar. <laughs> he said, that baby's gone. <laughs> and that's the idea. God, doesn't, God isn't going to do that. So I don't believe that a believer can be demon-possessed. Okay? I do believe that we have an old nature that is alive and well. And that when we as a believer have a choice between listening to the Spirit of God and listening to our old nature, which is sourced in Satan, we can do that. Right? So I would say this this morning. There are some of us that have walked in here this morning that the bottom line is this. Our lives are more oriented to what Satan wants for us than what God wants. Because we haven't fed that God side that much. And so... We have a tendency to be more in tune with Satan's way of doing things than God's way of doing things. And so for us, it's easy for us to get angry and jealous and greedy because that's kind of how we've lived our life. And so it's easy for us when we get into church sometimes to start to be influenced by that. Here's what I want to say this morning. If you don't think Satan came to Holly Springs Church this morning, you're kidding yourself. If you don't think he came in here, his spirit, whatever you want to call it, his influence came in here to try to sidetrack you today, you're kidding yourself. He's here. He's alive and well. It's a real, he's a, it's a real thing where Satan, and Satan, believe it or not, is with you when you get up in the morning. And he is with you trying to undermine everything God wants to do in your life. That's his goal. The Bible makes it very, very clear. Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he wants to do. That's, he's got one goal for you today. Rob you of stuff that God wants for you. Steal it from you. Kill, destroy things in your life that God wants you to do. He doesn't care how. The last thing he wants is for you to have a great marriage. last thing for he want, for, that he wants is for you to do anything godly this week. The last thing he wants is for you to control your temper. He doesn't care how he does it. That's his goal. But when Jesus shows up, he gets really uncomfortable. So understand that's what's going to happen. When you and I try to live for God this week, there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a battle. Satan is alive and well. Look, understand that. 
I, I, I deal with so many people who say stuff like, well, you know, I used to go to church once, but I don't go anymore because so-and-so, there was this person, and they said this, and this pastor, and they did this, and did it, and I just never have anything to do with church ever, ever, ever again. You know, you're letting Satan win. I mean, you're not here. You're, you don't believe that because you're here, but there are a lot of people that believe that. And I really feel sorry for those people because if they're genuine believers and they stand before God in heaven at the end of their life, and God looks at them and says, look, I don't understand. For 30 years, you wouldn't be with my people. For 30 years, you didn't invest. For 30 years, you didn't, you, you didn't want anything to do with them. You didn't encourage them and help them. You, know, you, 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 you didn't go anywhere to fellowship with them. Why? And they look at the King of kings and Lord of lords and creator of the universe and go, well, see, God, that guy over there said this. He's just not going to carry any weight just not going to carry any weight because you know i expect hypocrites in church i expect all kinds of people i expect satan to show up in church i expect all of that stuff why because if that's the world that's the world you know jesus said i didn't come to minister to those who are whole i had to minister people who wanted to grow who wanted to change and it's ugly and it's messy and it's not pretty you look at the people jesus interacted with it wasn't a bunch of pretty neat little packaged people with their problems. It was all messy. You know, he's talking to a woman at the well, and the disciples are like, whoa, don't you know you can't do that? you got to stay. You know, he looks at the disciples and says, hey, come on, we're going to go to lunch with the tax collectors. No, we can't do that. That's, that was the accusation, the publicans and sinners. He hung around with the wrong people. Why? Because Jesus was there to minister. Understand, Satan's alive and well. And here Satan shows up at church. Now, notice this. They think it's all about them. You come to destroy us. Well, not right now. Yeah, ultimately, but not now. It's not about you right now. I've come to minister to these people here. And so all of a sudden now, the, 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 the demonic thing is like, uh, and then here's the point that I don't get. I, I've tried to figure out how I can explain this. And I can't, so let me, try to, let me try the best I can to wrap my head around it so you can try to wrap your head around it. The demon, those in Satan's world, are, as an illustration are here, they make a comment to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say to him? Help me out. Be quiet, Be quiet and leave. And what do they do? They be quiet, and they leave. Is there any debate? Is there any argument? Is there any discussion? No. So, in the world of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan, when God speaks, they obey. You get that? When God speaks, they obey, because they know who's who. God comes to me and says, forgive, as God, for Christ's sake, had forgiven you. And I debate. I question. 
I say, but God, you don't understand how much that person hurt me. You don't understand my situation. You don't understand. Here's my dilemma. How come Satan understands who's king of kings and lord of lords? But I don't. And I call myself a Christian, a little Christ, one who follows him. God says, love your wife. But you see, Lord, she wasn't nice to me today. See, God, look, if you can fix her, I'll be good. I can love her. But right now, she's like unlovable. Why am I having this debate with God? Kids, God says, honor your parents, obey your parents. Mom says, clean your room. We have a debate now whether or not I should obey. Well, see, God, my mom's idea of a clean room is unrealistic. She actually thinks, yeah, she actually thinks stuff should be off the floor. I mean, that's unrealistic. Who lives like that? Um, Does this make sense? Here's my dilemma. Why is it that in Satan's world, they are immediately obedient? But we aren't. That's mind-boggling to me. Because as crazy as it's going to be, we could learn something today from the demons. That if they're obedient, we probably should be. That when God speaks and says, this is what you ought to do, then that's what we ought to do. Why do we put it up for debate? Why do we put it up for discussion? Even in Satan's world, they don't do that. And you're going to see this. when Actually, you're going to see this. In one of the miracles, they actually ask him permission to go into pigs instead of letting him have the rule. They actually ask him a favor, and he grants it. Because they realize who's in control. And yet we, as his children, take it as a suggestion. I think there's something to learn here, folks. Listen, and whatever God's been poking your heart about, go do it. Just do it. Don't don't debate it. Jesus looked at a demon and said, shut up, get out. And he shuts up and he leaves. God looks at us and goes, hey, look, love your wife. Do your job. Um, You know, forgive. Be kind. Be tenderhearted. Be generous. Be obedient. And we want to debate it. We want to debate it. I think it's a phenomenal lesson for us. I think the last lesson, and this is the thing that, this is the thing that I, I, I'm amazed at. And you're going to see this often in the miracles of Christ. The text says they were amazed. And they said, what is this, a new teaching authority? He gives orders even to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region. It says they were amazed, but it doesn't say they believed. 
And there's a difference. Because you're going to see in the life of Christ, there are people who were just simply amazed at him and there were people who believed in him. And it's a vast difference between the two. And in this story, as amazing as what they had seen was, it wasn't enough to, to move it from, from head to heart to belief. It was just like, oh, that was like really cool. You know, some people come up to me and, you know, and they say, you know, thanks, Pastor. That was a really good message. I really appreciate it. God really spoke to my heart. And I'm thrilled about that. I'm excited. But the carnal person inside of me wants to say, so what are you going to do about it this week? And that'd blow your mind. Because if I started asking that, then nobody's ever going to say that was a great message. Everybody's going to be going, you know. Um, but, but let me say it on this side of it. One of the things that I love about this church, and one of the things I love about you as a group, is I genuinely see people trying to do the things that God teaches. And you know that's incredibly encouraging. See, as a pastor, you, as a pastor, you're just like anybody else. You're trying to measure whether or not you're effective or successful, whatever term you want to use. Um, and so you're always second-guessing yourself. It's a game Satan plays with you, and it's a game that, you, 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 depending on how you're wired, you always go through. And, and different pastors have different methods by which they evaluate. Some people, it's like money. They look, when the offerings are good, they feel like the church is going well. Um, um, for some churches, it's attendance. And when attendance is up, they think things are going well. Um, those aren't things that, I mean, those are all good things, but they're not things I measure church health by, if you will. Um, because here's the bottom line. Um, the, 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 the Hard Rock Casino thing is going to open this week. Okay, They will have attendance and they will have money. That doesn't make them successful. Okay. So to me, it's not, about, it's, a, it's not about a numbers game with people. It's not about a numbers game with money. But I look for some intangible kind of things that are really hard to measure. But I, I, I want to share it with you this morning just because it, it, it's kind of heavy on my heart. And it's something that I'm seeing and something I want to encourage you with a little bit. It's, it, it's, it's, little, it's little things that I am seeing that tell me that as a church, we're, we're heading in the right direction and we're doing what we need to be doing. Um, and is it encouraging to me? A, a, a couple of weeks ago it happened. Um, and, I, and I'm not trying to embarrass people when I do this, but I, I got to say it because it's, I mean, there are things that I'm seeing and you should know about. Um, um, we started one service and Brian and Andrea's little boy, what's his, what's his name? Huh? Sage. Oh, yeah, Sage. How did I forget that? Um, Sage, I, we started the service, and you guys had him. You were in the back, and you guys had him in the back, and you guys were holding him. And they got all fussy. And it doesn't bother me, but parents get all bent out of shape about that. So Brian came over and got him, and Brian, Brian took him back there and got him all calmed down. And then I, I kind of lost track of what happened with him or whatever else. But at the end of the service, I go to the back of the church, and uh, uh, Maple... And Jason are in the back, and they've got him. And they're holding him and playing with Sage. And I'm sitting in the back looking, looking at this, thinking this thing through, and I thought, now, wait a minute. In a matter of an hour and 15 minutes, this little guy has been touched by three generations of people. How awesome is that? To take a kid and bring him up in that kind of world where everybody kind of pitches in. Um, I saw it at the canoe trip um, where, you know, I mean, 
for the, just the whole thing, everybody pitching in, getting ready at the beginning, and hey, do you have this? Do you need this? You know, I got bungees, I got Ziploc bags, I got this, I got that. Everybody pitches in to get the canoes in the water, get canoes in the water. You know, Rand Kathy, they were not the only ones to flip um, the canoes. Kevin and Vicky have the record. Um, but um, <laughs> you can ask them about that. They're on vacation right now. Ask them about overcompensating. But anyway, uh, they, they, they flipped over a couple of times. But, um, you know, when Ray got hurt, I mean, I, I watched how many people went to stop and help other people who couldn't stop fast enough. But then er- every time we stopped, I mean, you got to understand, you got, you got 20-some-odd canoes, and you're trying to all get them stopped in one place in the river and get them pushed off to the side. That, that's, a, that's a project. And yet, every time we would come to one of those spots, I watched, and there, was, there were like six or seven people out there helping Helping everybody get in and out of canoes, helping everybody, taking care of one another, pitching in and stuff like that. Like I say, we, 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 were, we were laughing so hard at times we were crying. And, and I, I kind of came off of the river looking at this crazy, insane bunch of people going, you know what? How many churches are there where you see people caring for each other, loving each other, and having fun together like that? And there is no age boundaries with it. It was from the littlest kids to the oldest kids. It was all the way across. And I, and I thought back and I thought, how? and you don't understand how, hard, how unique this is. I pastor a group of people who like each other. Who decide to go to the five hours away and spend a day together. I get people who, when the service is over, it's not like everybody's rushed out of the door to, to go to the next thing. I mean, I, I don't want to squash it, but I want to eat too. There are times, there are times it's 1230 or 1245 before I'm walking out of this building because people are still fellowship. There are times I've walked out and said, look, last one out, turn out the lights and lock the door. i got to get home. And you know what? Those are people who aren't just amazed at the Word of God, but are trying to apply it. And our job is for the, is for the community and the world to see that. And you know, like I say, one of the great things about the kind of trip that we had is you get to know each other on a whole different level. You know, you get to know each other by, by laughing and joking and and, 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 and eating together, and you find out who eats healthy and who doesn't, and you find out, um, you know, you just find all kinds of fun stuff about one another. Um, you know, but I, I have to say one of the things that, is encur- that encourages me more than anything else is, it, here is this. I think as a group, we genuinely want to do what God wants us to do. And we all struggle so if somebody rubs you the wrong way because they said the wrong thing, let it go. Now I feel like I'd be in a Frozen movie. Let it go. Um, no, um, let it go. And that's all you'll tell you. Now, those of you who know what I'm talking about are going, oh, no, even in church, it's coming to haunt me. Uh, but seriously, you know, don't get so hung up on that stuff. Don't let Satan win. And, and take the word, take the things you know what God's been pushing your buttons about. Change it. 
do something about it. Don't just sit back and go, well, you know, wow, that was a great message, Pastor. Thanks. You know, uh, you know, you, God really spoke to my heart. Okay, great. But don't just be amazed. Go do something. Because we have a group of people who are trying to do that. And I'm seeing it, and as a pastor, it's incredibly encouraging to me because those are the little things. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I walk, you know, I know you're, you're, you're walking out here going, you know, you're going, well, you know, I hope, you know, okay, you know, I hope he preaches something that God uses in my life. And, and I come at it a little bit differently. I'm looking at it going, I'm looking at things like a baby to go from there to there to there to there. I'm watching, I'm watching 20-year-olds stop canoes. They're like, hey, can I help you? Hey, we want to make sure, you know. You know how many 20-year-olds are concerned about old people? Huh? You know, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what. Here, we're Sage. We're Sage and Brenton. Uh, okay. Huh? Okay. I, I got to say this because here's how bad it was. Well, you don't know this, okay, but on the last, the last leg, you know, at the very end, Juanita was so desperate to see Stan, that land, Stan landing, she actually in the canoe said, we come around the corner and I see Stan standing in the water. I'm going to run out and kiss him. Um, it was like, she was, she was so desperate to see Stan's landing. It was like, you know, I'm looking for Sage, Sage, save me, save me. Um, <laughs> but it was, like I say, it was just so much fun to be able to do that and to see people try and apply it. You know, I, I want to encourage your heart. Look, Satan's alive and well. Satan's going to work. He's going to work in this church. He's going to work in your life. He's going to work in your family. He's going to be present. He's going to try to do that stuff. He wasn't a ministry of Christ. Christ simply looked at him and said, he didn't spend a lot of time with him. He didn't dive into it. He just said, you know, be quiet and get out. And that's, that's a great way for you and I to respond. When Satan starts pushing your buttons and, and get his, Satan, look, be quiet and get out. Because I'm listening to God on this one. I'm going to do what God wants me to do here. I'm going to love my wife regardless of how she acts tomorrow. Don't worry. I'm going to be at the fair all day tomorrow, so I'm good. Um, no, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm going to love my wife no matter what. I'm going, to, I'm going to forgive that person no matter what. I'm going to be kind tomorrow at work to that obnoxious person who's driving me insane. I'm going to, don't, don't go pointing fingers at coworkers, you know. No, I'm going to interrupt. I mean, it, honestly, it's one of those things where let's do it, okay? Let's take what God, because again, if, if the kingdom of Satan understands that when God speaks, they obey, we don't need to be debating God. We just need to be obedient. We just need to do what he wants us to do. So my prayer for you this, this week is this. We're challenged to remember that God is always the ultimate power and authority. The fact that he allows us the choice to respond carries a tremendous responsibility. So this week, let's fulfill our responsibility and walk in obedience to what he wants for us. And let's love and care for each other like God wants us to. Let's pray. Lord, help us, guide us, direct us. Thanks for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we're not perfect. We've got all kinds of problems and Lord, we're all working towards trying to be more like you. But, Lord, uh, we got a long way to go. So, Lord, help us. Lord, may we be obedient. May we respond. May we stop debating and arguing and excusing and just simply do what you want us to do. And, Lord, when it's all said and done,
May you be honored and glorified. May our community be able to see Christ in us. And may you work and use us, Lord, to reach our friends and our family and our community for you. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to sing.